Uh, so we've been in Luke, but before we get back into Luke, just some fun news we shared last week, but want to at least put a face to a name. Uh, last week, we had <laughs> Caleb James Schoenrock born to Amanda and Tyler. Tyler, uh, our student ministry pastor around here, got to welcome their first baby into this world and a uh, pretty special treasure. So thankful for these little lives that God entrusts into our care to raise for his glory. Uh, and, uh, and along that, that is a, a part of what we've been trying to discuss around here. We hope that we as a community are building and inspiring multi-generational communities, plural, towards this lifetime of discipleship. A disciple being made up these three key lifestyles, three relationships of following Jesus building community with other followers of Christ, and then wanting to seek the transformation in our homes, our neighborhoods, and our world. And so one of the initiatives we've embarked on this year is, is we're not creating a need, but we want to meet a need. We look around and we see these 80 sweet little lives that show up week in, week out, which maybe baffles your mind, baffles my mind, that there is this need that exists around our church family. And so we're exploring Building God's Way is going to come and join us at the end of November to do this accelerated charrette about what it would look like to build discipleship environments for kids to have a more uh, conducive experience on Sundays and then opportunities throughout the week. And so inevitably, when we start talking about facilities, uh, I mean, we're in a great place. We're debt-free. We're not rushing in anything, but we feel like there's an opportunity. And inevitably, when you start talking about that, this treasure vessel distinction comes to mind. And I hope, even as we begin talking about a vessel experience, we never lose sight of the treasure. It is. That is what we're sold out to. We are people helping people find life with Jesus. The world is looking for life and hope and joy. We want people to experience life with Jesus one life at a time. And yet, inevitably, it feels like we start focusing on the vessel and so in my heart, here's from my, my own perspective, I, I walk into people's homes and, and I'm often blown away. I see just the gorgeous space that sometimes I'm being welcomed into. Uh, when I get to go visit some of you guys in your work environments, I'm blown away by the spaces that your workplaces uh, design and create. What's behind that? At our kids' schools, we see, we see people flow and we see spaces designed for kids Here's what I'm convinced of, because in the education world, they are sold out to bringing glory to the education system, right? In our homes, sometimes we're just sold out to the creativity that's making a space hospitable and warm and welcoming. In a workspace, in a work environment, usually companies are sold out to their profit margins. They are sold out to maximizing their profit. I hope in the same way. When people see our space, do they see a deep conviction, not ultimately about a space, but bringing glory to God in our, in our pursuit of pursuing him as the treasure? Do they see that and experience in that when they walk into our kids' space? And so we're embarking on this, and, and we'll continue to see where it goes, but want to keep you guys appraised of the conversation. But we are sold out ultimately to the treasure that is Jesus so as we get into Luke, here's, here's where we're going this morning. What's in a name? And we're going to see, I'm looking forward to when Tyler and Amanda want to dedicate 
sweet Caleb to the Lord. We're going to see this early baby dedication taking place with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the context is about a name. Don't miss that. What's in a name? And I remember, so my parents got married. I was the first and ended up being the only. And, and therefore, my grandfather's name was Eugene Richard Bartosik Sr. And then my dad became Eugene Richard Bartosik Jr. And so, inevitably, there was a conversation. Maybe we should name our son Eugene Richard Bartosik III, to which my mom said, there is no way I'm naming my kid Eugene. That was... And if your name is Eugene, you are more than welcome. This is a safe space. We're glad you're here. But, but she said, man, there's something about a name. I, I remember when Hudson was dropped off on our door, and, and we began raising this sweet little boy. He came into our life when he was three weeks old. And, and we began wrestling what his name, his birth name's Arturo. We shifted that to his middle name. And we we're going back and forth, and, and the name we ultimately landed on was Hudson. Uh, Hudson Taylor was a missionary to the China Inland Mission, if that name means anything. And so for us, as we were praying and, and desiring, what, what are you going to do, God, in this sweet life? Hudson Arturo Bartosik. What, what's in a name? So don't miss the context of what's going on about what is happening in Luke and why Luke includes this naming component. Because for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it becomes a point uh, of questioning certainty. That there's this point now that, that we're coming to the head of Zechariah's story, the baby they prayed for, and the long-awaited forerunner. And there's this question about certainty that's coming up. And so as we begin, I, I want to ask that question of us, where, Jerry, I might be a little too close to you. Is this too close right here? Is that all right? I'll take a step back. For, for you, where, where, where might that question of looking for increased certainty be in your life? Because we understand in this journey with Jesus, it is this ever-deepening, ever-increasing journey with Jesus, and yet there are points in life where the truth is we hit these walls. Uh, usually around some kind of challenge or crisis comes up, and there's this moment where we hit a wall, and we wrestle with the disorientation and pain that hits our life, or maybe some of the apathy that's set in. And, and, and there's this uh, uncertainty that we're being pressed by. And so we're going to walk through the evolution of Zechariah's ongoing spiritual journey. And, and he's the guy that's supposed to have got it. Do you guys remember? He's the priest. And yet what Luke tells us is he's the one that actually misses it. And so we're going to watch this process and the naming of his son becomes this pivotal point where things turn in his life. And so, let's read the text and then we will jump in. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. 
And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Again, those, those moments, right? Just bursting out in song and dance choreographed. <laughs> Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking now to this baby, dedicating to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Sometimes it feels we refuse to trust God into the place of the unknown. I want more certainty. I want to know how it's going to work out. And yet this call to continue to trust the who into these places unknown and mysterious, more unclear, and yet very real trust in who God is and where he's taking us. So I think this is what the text is leading us into this morning, that Luke invites us to see Zechariah's journey of ongoing spiritual transformation of increased certainty in God's grace and goodness. Why? So that when we as individuals are certain of God's grace and goodness, it inevitably leads to the profound impact on those around us. He's showing us what's taking place in Luke's life or in Zechariah's life so that we can see and, and chart the journey in our own. So pray with me and we will... Uh, we will walk through the text together. Oh, God, you're so good. But sometimes we hit these walls in life where we aren't seeing or trusting that as fully. Maybe even now in this moment, there are places of uncertainty in our life that we want to experience more of your grace and goodness. Help us, encourage us from the story that you recorded through Luke about Zechariah's journey, that it might impact and encourage our own faith. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's a map of where we're headed, I think, of where the text is taking us. There starts with this family feud, this disagreement around John's name, the naming of John. And then we see a turn. Zechariah boldly declares his son's name and then overflows from doubting to praise. Zechariah transforms from doubting to praise. And so here's where we start. This disagreement around naming John. And, and here's, here's the interesting part, right? So test this, always. Whenever we do this stuff, test this, right? We, we hope 
As you wrestle, you're not just trusting the words of your third grade Sunday school teacher. You're not just trusting my words. You're actually trying to read this thing. So we open up to Luke because we're actually believing we're hearing from God. And so we're asking, why is this here? (laughs) What's happening? Why did Luke choose to include this? And so I hope as we chart this, you feel that this is an accurate reflection of the text. But always test this. What happened? Why is it here? And what does it mean to us? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced. They're rejoicing. We, we heard this barren woman has now given birth. What a concept. This is unreal. God's favor and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. I mean this old couple not necessarily always naming your kid after your father, but this sense of, man, he's old. This could be like a family relative, a grandparent. That's, that's the family name continuing. And so they all assumed Zechariah Jr. would pop out, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And everyone starts questioning, well, why is that? Well, why wouldn't you continue this lineage? Well, what's so special about the name John? No one in your family has that name. So obviously, they didn't necessarily share that an angel had visited Zechariah. No, his name shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. I I found this interesting. I never want to make too much of this. But why are they making signs to him? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Aaron. Well, where my head goes, I don't know what signs they might be making. But potentially, he's not just mute, can't talk but potentially deaf as well. And so they're trying to communicate with him and make signs to him. And and I go, now imagine for nine months, (laughs) nine months, how long can you sit in stillness again? How long can you sit in silence? About 30 seconds. Nine months, Zechariah is in silence, potentially without the ability here, clearly without the ability to speak. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he writes the name John. Now, I'm just wondering, what's Luke doing in this process? So often we jump to the next part. Zechariah boldly shares his name. But but I want to look back and, and just for a moment reflect on this journey of God's mercy and grace in the midst of a lack of faith. That I want to pause and just look back at Zechariah's journey that now leads to that proclamation because I can't imagine, I can, I can see myself in this journey. I want to look back and see this journey of lack of faith and yet God still delivers his goodness and grace. And so, Here's, here's the process we're going to walk through. And this, this organization comes from a guy named Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. But, but there's, I, I'm including some of our language in it too. But here's where this journey of spirituality starts. It starts with a life-changing awareness of God. People that come to faith later in life usually are able to experience that a lot more quickly because they see the depth of their sin. They come to faith later in life and they go, man, I am a broken sinner. Sometimes growing up in the church, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a a good person. 
But there is inevitably a point where you're overwhelmed by the weight of your sin and you see the life-changing awareness of who God is. And then what happens? We continue this journey of discipleship. We actually are learning of what it, what it means to embrace this new identity. What it means that to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> we actually start growing in what it means that I was once a slave to sin and now I'm a slave to righteousness, Paul says. There's this massive switch that happens. And then what happens? Inevitably, we want to start using our gifts. Zechariah, priestly lineage, starts serving in the temple, and we start using our time, our treasure, our talents, our gifts towards God's glory. No longer, so I don't see spiritual gifts as somehow I'm, when I become a Christian, I suddenly embody or get bestowed with gifts. Instead, I go, I have these gifts. I used to use them for whose glory? Mine. Then I get converted to life with Jesus. Who do I want to start using, using these gifts for? God's glory. And, and, and so there's this process that happens. But then there's this moment in Zechariah's life. He hits a spiritual wall. He hits a wall where he's going to the temple. He's doing his thing. But what we see recorded is his response to an angel that says, your prayer's been answered. How does Zechariah respond? Maybe a little like that. <laughs> huh? What happens? He hits this wall. He hits this wall in his spiritual life where he's demonstrating, manifesting this lack of faith. He's not exactly where he thought he was. <laughs> How do we know that? Luke records it for us. The Gabriel starts telling Zechariah about his son. He will be great before the Lord. He won't drink strong drink. Here's what that's going to look like. And he's going to make ready for the people, a Lord, a pe for the Lord, a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? He hits a wall in his spiritual life of not just immediately trusting that the God of the universe is working. He's seeing an angel instead. What happens? There's this doubt that sets in. There's this lack of faith that he's manifesting. And as a result, he enters this space where he begins to be mute. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe the words which were fulfilled in their time. Well, where's those moments in your past? Can you think of a moment where... There is a wall that you hit in your spiritual journey. And I'll give you a hint. It usually revolves around one of three categories, money, sex, or power. I remember when Casey and I were going through the infertility treatment, and I remember, I remember vividly. <laughs> we, did this, we did this process, fairly affordable process, I want to say. The, the technical term, they're called IUIs. And, and, and where they were roughly about $300 a pop at the time, $400, a, a, a meager sum. <laughs> And it wasn't working to accomplish the goal we had in mind. And I remember then gears shifting towards something called IVF, where now the sticker price was going to be closer to twenty or $30,000, right? And even that might be cheap from some of your experiences. And I remember the feeling of what that number did in my head as just a knucklehead, not making very much money going, how are we going to do this? How's this going to be? And I hit a wall, not trusting that God is sovereignly working out the details. Where do I go? 
I love Jesus. I'm growing in what it means to understand who he is. I'm serving him. And I hit a wall. God, how are you going to accomplish this in our life? And then where does Zechariah go? Well, he's mute for nine months. And what do you think he's thinking about for those nine months? Yeah. He's entering into this inward journey. Around here, we call that gap between our desired state and our actual state. There's this gap that exists that we're trying to process and say, God, we believe you're in it with us. And there's this inward journey that starts to happen in Zechariah's life. And he processes nine months worth. I think for Casey and I, we began processing, what do we do with that? Much shorter timeline for us, maybe because God knows I needed more of his demonstration of power because my faith was so small. We get a call. I'm sitting in my office one day. And this lady comes in. No appointment, just walks into my office. She goes, <laughs> we start talking. I know her, right? So we start talking, having a great little chit-chat. I love that Wisconsin terminology. I never used that term in my life. I love, who's going to have a little chit-chat? <laughs> it reminds me of Brian Regan. He has this bit. I don't know if you know who Brian Regan is. It's like these incredible weapon systems. We got the Black Hawk helicopter. We got the Tomahawk missile. And then what do we have? We got the walkie-talkie. <laughs> hey, Sarge, look, I'm walkie and I talkie. Anyway, never mind. Random thought. Random thought. But I go, chit-chat. We're going to just have a little chit-chat. And so this lady walks into my office, and, and, and we're talking, and, and, and then she says these words. She goes, unbeknownst to her of the circumstances going on in our world, right? Shouldn't have any concept of the story being written in our life. Comes into my office and goes, you know, they were looking for this young couple to house it for us. For, for a few years, um, and, and we're trying to pray through who that couple might be, uh, do you and Casey think you might be interested in that? Now, what practically speaking, what does that mean? It means we're not playing, paying a mortgage or a rent check, right? <laughs> and not only that, we're living in this dinky, probably two-bedroom apartment, one-bedroom apartment maybe, and now we're about to be moving to this palatial a state in Orange Park, acres on a hill. I mean, it's like, God, I, I felt like I was Paul, knowing what it meant to be plenty and in want. Now, now, did I write that story? No. And yet God in his infinite wisdom in that moment produced something. He produced this journey outward to increased certainty that in that circumstance, I can have increased certainty he will provide in the future. There's the journey being written as we look at Zechariah's story, what happens? Nine months of being mute, and then the moment of clarity comes, and what does he do? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord and had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they were like, what are you talking about? None of the relatives is called by this name. They turned to Zechariah, and they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, after this inward journey of processing God, what are you doing in my circumstances? God, where are you? I, I need you to show up. His name, not shall be, with great confidence, with great certainty, he says, his name is John. And they all wondered. Sometimes it feels like we think we're further along in this spiritual journey than we are. And these moments hit us to give us a more accurate appraisal of where our faith is so that God can meet us there and help us to continue to move forward. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And then what happened? And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, then what then shall this child be? I love this recognition that it inevitably moves from an inward experience to increased certainty. His name will be John. And then what's the inevitable byproduct that happens? When God demonstrates his grace and mercy in our life, what is it? Transformational love. This increased certainty, love drives out all fear. Where in your life are you looking for that increased certainty and it feels like you've hit that wall? The journey of Zechariah then inevitably bubbles up where? From doubting? To praise. And now he shares this song with us about what that doubting had been moved to, to now the praise he wants us to feel about the goodness and grace of God. But, but here's again, here's where my mind goes. As we turn there, and I'm going to read a few ideas. Because <laughs> as good as maybe you think I am, I still need notes. I want to read a few ideas because I was thinking through where, where might we find ourselves in this? What, where are those crises for us that, that it, it erupts with some type of disorientation or pain? And, and, and it feels like it could stem from a divorce, a job loss, a death of a close friend or family, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal from someone you trusted, a shattered dream, a wayward kid, an inability to get pregnant or getting pregnant at the wrong time in the wrong way, a deep, a deep down desire to be married that gets unfulfilled or, or this apathy or dryness that just seems to fill our life. Where are we looking for increased certainty that we see the journey of Zechariah hitting that wall, and yet we're in this inward journey going deeper? And then we hear the words of Zechariah that might not be ours yet, but longing for them to be. Here's what Zechariah proclaims. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. 
And his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Nine months, inward journey. Do we look at our circumstances and say, ugh, (laughs) I can't even open my heart to begin proclaiming these realities because they feel so distant from us? Lean in and let's try and hear what Zechariah says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Man, I want to do a little extra on this. (sighs) I wrestle. We're already so far. I do try and guard your time. You guys believe that, right? One verse. We're just going to do one verse, okay? One verse. If you turn to Exodus, man. Uh, Exodus 4, 31, because there's so much power here in this, and we're just going to read the one verse, right? So they're, they're seeing God in the tabernacle, the temple, and God is visiting them. Here's the language God uses in Exodus. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. There's this sense that God is present. He's with them. He's visiting them in their time of need. He he wants to dwell among his people. (laughs) Now turn to Malachi chapter 3. Man, too much. Never enough time. You guys feel that? Or you're like, there's a Packer-Giants game. If you could pick up the pace, we would really appreciate it. Malachi 3. Last prophetic authoritative word from the Lord. Behold, I send a message, he will prepare the way. Sound familiar? A couple weeks ago? The very following verse. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. I'm going to visit my people again. What are the words Zechariah declares about the Messiah? (laughs) This is the guy that's coming to visit his people, to dwell with his people. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn, not a bugle, but actually like like an element of war, this element of a horn of an animal that is conquering something, a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us and to show mercy promised to our fathers. And and again, we are not going to develop it. We'll develop it when we get to Luke 6. But turn over just quickly, Luke 6. I love it. Slowly. Did you hear how fewer and fewer pages were turning from Exodus now to Luke 6? Here we go. Luke 6. I love you guys. Luke 6, 22 and then 27. Because sometimes we read this stuff and I think we over-spiritualize it. Instead of seeing a real spiritual enemy that acts in our Monday to Saturday seeking to destroy us. Here's what Luke 6 says. 
Luke will tell us, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the count of the Son of Man. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Here's Zechariah's prayer. Sometimes we say, well, that was the nation of Israel exclusively. Now it's exclusively spiritual. Man, I think Luke, he's going to throughout this text, help us see physical and spiritual together to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the soul. And holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now shifts to John. What a baby dedication, right? Man, Here's the baby dedication. And your child will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will be called before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercies of our God, spiritual, right? You heard it. Because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That Jesus has visited his people to dwell among his people. And what's the way he describes that visit? It's like light. He continues on to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. He leads not with a sword, but how? The light of his word. He rescues, not through this bloody war. How does he rescue? We're going to see this in Luke as he continues everyday teaching. We're in this section of everyday meeting, meeting with the king. He's inviting us into a new way. (laughs) He leads again, how? Not with coercion, not with just might, but with light, his teachings and his life. And he transforms not through coercion and control of use of power, but how? As a matter of character, addressing forgiveness of sins. (laughs) That's how he transforms. Not without real physical challenges in our Monday to Saturday, but the transformation is so upside down. And I love, I love what he says here. Zechariah declares, we all have room to grow. Who does Zechariah say is in darkness? Does he include himself? Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah seeing himself in need of the light to guide his way. The morning star, this new teaching, this new life. We hit these walls, I think, in life, and then we journey inward, processing what God is doing in the midst of those challenges so that we can have increased certainty outward and this transformational love that stems from that change of life. So where do we go from here? What does that look like in our Monday to Saturday? Here's here's a few encouragements. But before we get there, you guys love C.S. Lewis? Chronicles of Narnia, I grew up reading those things. There is one quote that sticks out to me. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with Chronicles of Narnia, it's this imaginary land that mirrors a little bit of the faith journey, and, uh, and they have different characters. 
Uh, the, the movies didn't do so well. <laughs> they, they've been slightly unsuccessful. Books, though, they're fantastic. And, and, and Aslan is this Christ figure. And there's this cool scene in one of the books, Prince Caspian, where Lucy stumbles upon Aslan, and there's this scene. And, and she begins seeing Aslan more for who he is, and here's how, how C.S. Lewis uh, describes her interaction with Aslan. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting, half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. In this journey of ongoing spiritual transformation, what it feels like is sometimes the most seasoned people around us that have been in the church the longest often reflect the most apathetic faith. Instead, what it seems to be in this journey of Zechariah is we hit these walls and many of us just, just fall. We're not willing to press through those to actually see that the God of the universe is working in those circumstances for our good to help us trust him more. And those walls hit us all the time. And instead, when we press through those, we actually find God bigger. We actually learn to trust his reliability more. Now, does he show up in the most predictable ways? If you heard our journey, you would go, well, you did IVF. The money came through. Now the most predictable option would be what? A biological kid. And yet, did God do that? God is reliable, but not often predictable. I don't know where you're pressing in for more certainty in life, but I want to walk through a few prayers that we can claim to trust more in God's reliability and we find him bigger because there is this radical dependence of life in the kingdom. In our Monday to Saturday, a radical dependence on his ability to provide no matter what is going on around us. And so, God, help me recognize where I am on this spiritual journey. <laughs> Maybe I'm not as far along as I thought I was. God, meet me in that space. And then, God, help me to want you more today, to have an everyday meeting with the king, not just some spiritual devotions, but actually radical dependence on our day-to-day -day needs. God, help me to want you more today. And I've been told sometimes when I get to that point, I get a little shrill. I apologize. God, help me to trust that your better is better, that you are reliable not often predictable, and that I see him grow bigger and bigger as I trust him more. For these last two, I want to invite the worship team up behind me for these last few takeaways here. But is this our prayer, this everyday meeting with the king that I hope inevitably has an outward expression to the lives around us, that there's this inward journey that actually has 
Faith casts out fear. Love drives out fear. Help me be increasingly intentional about loving people in my workplace, my neighborhood, my school, my home, where maybe there are just challenges that I'm having a hard time seeing. God, your grace in the midst of it. And help me declare your grace and goodness in my life. Can you look back at a point where you doubted and yet something helped you get out of that doubt? Can you look back and see a place where God was faithful and it gives you confidence for the days ahead, whatever circumstances might be waiting right around the corner? And then, I hope there's an increased prayer for all of us around here at Hillcrest. God, what are you inviting me into today? And that we're ready to share with our mouths or eyes or hearts and step into those moments. Believing that God is having a victory in those Monday to Saturday. Pray with me. Oh, God, you are so good to us. Help us experience more of that. If we've hit a wall, meet us in that place and help us work through it, trusting your reliability. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.